Welcome to FinTech What the Heck. I'm your host, Andrew Carpenter. This is the podcast all about FinTech and the future of data. I'll be interviewing Intrinio's senior data engineer, Phil Vigo, about managing data quality. We're also talking to Hugo Castellan and Alex Mathekathala from LifeWorks Advisors about combining robo-advisors with human advisors. My Intrinio guest today is Phil Vigo. He's a senior data engineer at Intrinio. Welcome to the podcast, Phil. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, can you start by telling everyone a little bit about your personal background and how you came to be at Intrinio? Sure. Uh, I've worked a number of different types of jobs uh, for, for many, many years. Um, I've been um, a rice field agricultural technician. I've worked in grocery stores, worked at a, at a VHS video store when I was way younger. Um, and then and then got serious about my career, went to college and got some math and dropped out. And uh, I've been working with data pretty much ever since. Uh, I came to Intrenio uh, after a, a disaster hit my community and um, I was looking for a job. And uh, Intrenio looked like a really good opportunity, so I, I applied, and now three almost three years later, I'm here. You're here, and you haven't quit, <laughs> and uh, could probably have a whole podcast just on your background, but uh, maybe tell us a little bit more about what it means to be a senior data engineer at Intrenio. Like, what type of things are you working on on a daily basis? Right. So a lot of what I do requires a great deal of curiosity. I run into things I never see on a daily basis. And, and the joke I used to make was that I, I basically get paid a lot of money to uh, play Sudoku all day. Um, but I think that I've got a better way to describe it now. Essentially, the work we do is if you were to have a library and you wanted a robot to read all the books and then tell you where he thinks or she thinks it should go onto a shelf, then it doesn't always get it right. So you have to train the robot to be able to shelve a book correctly. That's a lot of what I do, only abstract that into financial data. Uh, we get fundamentals in from a wide variety of sectors. Um, they all have their own way of doing things. The robot goes and tries to figure it out. It doesn't always get it right. Data quality engineers, we go through and try to make that better. Yeah. So you're training a machine to do the work because it's probably scales a little better. Did you, do you have a name for this robot that's, that's that you're helping? Well, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to use it cause we, we internally, we, uh, we, we use like funny names for the different strategies and stuff. Um, so I'll just call it engine. I think that's what, what, uh, what, you know, the engineers I, I work with would call it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just basically a, a, a very powerful system that has a, a wide variety of, of, different outlooks it would take to determine which one it should use to standardize the data. Right. And so the idea is that this, you could have a whole bunch of uh, people who don't have a ton of skill go and shelve the books, or you could have the robot do it and have a very small team with a lot of knowledge that works with the robot instead. Right. And, and what's great about our programmers is that they all, for the most part, know a bit about financial data before they got here. A lot of them trade in uh, themselves. They sell, they, they sell and trade stock. And so they, they understand the importance of why this data is so useful. And so they're really good at training the robots ahead of time 
before you know someone like me who who actually knows very little about it. That's what's so amazing about it is is that even though I'm not a financial person, I can still use what is left over and figure out what to do with it. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more in depth about why that data needs to be worked with between you know you're working a lot with financial statement data. Like why can't it just why can't people just go and get that data um, native? from the SEC or in the, in the wild, why do we need to have this robot in between that makes that data more useful? Sure. So, uh, I mean, all of this is publicly, you know, available information and, and all of it is, you know, filed under XBRL code or XBRL language. And, um, and so if you wanted to, you could go to the SEC and plug in a company one at a time, pull up every single filing one at a time, and it would take you, you know, forever to be able to pull that information down in a reasonable amount of time. And 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 what we can do instead is, is we can pull all of that data and standardize it and put it into a, a format that's easily digestible so that somebody can compare apples to apples with seemingly unrelated companies in, in a matter of a simple query. Whereas if you were to just do it to the SEC, you probably have like 400 tabs open trying to figure out which one to go to. And, and I mean, and when you're thinking about trying to do this at scale, there's just no way to do that. I mean, you know, maybe you could go on on someone's website and hope to God they've got it right. But, you know, it, it really isn't, you know, very easy to do without, you know, having someone come in, take the data, interpret it, and then put it into a standard form. And that's the other thing that's really great about what we do is, is that, you know, we have a couple of different templates we use to allow you to take something that would seemingly be unrelated from different sectors of you know, the market and, and be able to compare them on, on the same types of tags like revenues and, and expenses and, and, you know, compare their fundamentals across to try to find patterns or, you know, something so you can make a more intelligent, you know, trade or, 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 you know, give it to a customer with your analysis. If you wanted to do it manually, take one company at a time, you're going to spend most of your research time standardization piece that having you and this robot in between um, makes it possible to just get so many more comparisons done almost to the level of automating analysis. Um, Can you talk about some of the tougher companies to standardize? Like what's going on with some of these crazy filings and like, what have you seen in the data? Yeah. A good example of a challenge is any company that, uh, buys at a lot of other companies. So uh, think of think of like a, a energy company on the East Coast. Uh, they're all owned by like only a small handful of, of businesses. And whenever they buy a bunch of different companies, they have to file for all those companies. And all those other companies, they have different fiscal years and they have different, you know, so what they do is they do what's called dimensionalization. And the dimensions that come out of that, they, they contribute to the overarching top line and bottom lines on all the different dif- uh, filings that come through. And so keeping straight, like say you have an energy company that has 40 subsidiaries and they all have revenues and, and maybe like a couple of them matter to the overarching top line, keeping all that straight is very challenging. Um, and what's really cool about it, really, really cool about it is, is that we actually have some strategies now that are really good at taking the, the sort of like guidance we've given the robot and they can do it almost instantaneously now. It used to be something we'd be sitting there and just like picking at and trying to figure out. And it's like that hard work has now gone into making those robots more smart. 
Yeah. So these filings, they're a mess, I imagine, when and you're going in there, diving into the data and applying experience and not just fixing it for that one filing that one time. Does do you, When you go ahead and understand these statements and, and figure out how to standardize them, will they be mapped in the future to that standardized template? In the future and the past. We have the we have ways of, of basically taking anything that uh, the, the the system has struggled on in the past, and and we can run these strategies on them, and um, we can audit ones that are already you know standardized and see if we did them correctly. So we're constantly improving the data. We're constantly trying to find you know the cleanest, most useful, actionable data that you can get. Yeah. Um, and so anybody who's using that data is getting the benefit of having a, a team of data engineers um, always running their analysis off of. Um, what are you working on next? Like, what is um, what is do you see as the next step to continuing to improve these data sets? Well, I'm working with uh, Jason on getting uh, the next, next level of the validator done. The validator is a program we use to uh, analyze the standardization to see if there's anything weird going on in the filing. Um, and so I've been working with him on strategies regarding that. And then from there, we're also looking at standardizing data for um, foreign markets um, using IFRS taxonomies. Uh, so anything that files in Europe or across you know, the world we're really excited about the possibility of getting into standardizing that data because it's a field we've really haven't really dove into. So it's, it's a really, really cool future. Yeah. So you could be expanding outside of the U S and using the same approach to standardize filings across the globe. I, um, I was thinking about that idea this morning and thinking how if, if you had standardized templates that went across countries, you could really open up the investable universe for folks so they can pick better investments regardless of the market. Whereas I think right now a lot of their, their investable universe is limited because you don't have standardized data um, for Europe or Asia, for example. Yep. That's exactly right. And um, I mean, we've, we've sort of staked our claim on, on us companies specifically, but we've also more recently expanded into American uh, depository ADRs, I always forget what the R means, but you know what I mean. Just basically foreign filers who trade in the United States. Um, we That's sort of like one of the basis for helping us get this off the ground because they do file things very differently than they do here. They still follow you know, our regulations, but you know, a German bank will often be very different than a U.S. bank. Right. Okay. So you're using the ADR information that we've been covering in the United States taking some of that information and then expanding outwards. That, that's really cool. Um, do you enjoy working with all this data? I mean, you said it was like a puzzle for you. It's like, um, you know, it, does it keep your brain working all the time? The, the best answer to this is most of the time. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're a small company. We, we've, we've overcome a lot of really big challenges. Um, this isn't a simple problem to solve. And so, you know, you run into some things that make it a little more difficult. Um, but, but overall, like when it's, when it's humming and I'm just like just solving these left and right or, or even better when I'm working with somebody um, who's dedicated to understands this stuff really well, it can like take big whacks at the, you know, 
at it that that's that's the that's the best especially when we start to see like 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 the strategy we created this summer um the the data quality the leap it took was just immense and um that feels really really satisfying like especially you know being here in almost three years not quitting um you know seeing how all this has happened over time has been incredibly incredible to be a part of yeah that's good to hear that <laughs> you like it and that <laughs> when you make when you make progress in your head against it i like one of the, val- the values that i think you really live out is the work smarter not harder finding these solutions that can make a big impact um it's really really helpful can you tell us what you're doing for fun outside of work i could ask you about music i could ask you about com- composition video games all kinds of things I got uh, some new John Denver music that I didn't know about from you recently. What are you What are you into right now, now besides work? I uh, so my, my birthday is right around the corner, and um, I think that my family's gotten to the point where they don't really get me anything. They're just like, "What's Dad gonna buy this year?" Um, so this year I bought a, a, a keyboard, and I'm I'm learning piano right now. So that's <laughs> been really fun. Um, I play guitar since I was 13, so I'm almost you know. Almost thirty years on the guitar, not quite that long, uh, and now I'm expanding to the the, the piano finally because I mean, it, it was going to happen eventually. <laughs> what are you going to do with that with your piano once you get good at it? Or you you like to compose? Do you like to just learn songs you enjoy? Yeah, well, right now it's just learning basic you know technique. I I, I don't really understand. Like my hands are killing me because I didn't realize like you hold them a certain way. And I mean, I always could screw around on a piano, but like. Not not like I'm doing now. I actually have a book. It has notes. I have to like, you know, this finger pushes that note, whatever. But but it also has like the the one I got has the ability to help me compose uh, like demos. I don't have a band, and you know, in the age of COVID, I don't want to like find a bunch of people to get in a room together and you know breathe on each other. So the keyboard kind of has a way of allowing me to like put a beat down, and then I can I can record a loop, and then put it on my computer and and edit it and. You know, so yeah, sort of, sort of like want to get into composition, and I, I used to do it when I was younger, and so it's just getting back into it. Yeah, well, I can't wait to hear what you compose and how you make progress on that, and also what you come up with and compose for Intrinio um, on the data engineering front. Thanks so much for coming to the show, Phil. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was it was a pleasure. So I'm from France, based in New York City. I joined LifeWorks a year ago, and before that, I was starting a company with Alex uh, called Aimvest uh, out of MIT. So I met this guy, uh, what is it, like two, three years ago now uh, at MIT. And so my background is um, is data and kind of like financial engineering in, in general. And at LifeWorks, I'm, I'm in charge of data science, but really... For like a young startup like this, uh, data science means a lot of things. It's like investment strategy research, um, planning software, performance reporting, all that kind of stuff. Uh, whenever there is data, I'm usually involved. Yeah. And how about um, you, Alex? So same France as well. Another French guy. Uh, didn't meet Hugo in France, indeed. We met uh, only in uh, grad school in the U.S. in Boston. I come from a background which is a lot more, I would say, traditional or conventional than Hugo. Than Hugo, I really don't come from the 
entrepreneurship world or tech world. So more like uh, your typical, uh, you know, uh, math slash uh, history type of uh, education and uh, typical. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and and like no no startup work at all uh, before meeting Hugo and, and starting one. Um, today uh, at LifeWorks, I'm in charge of uh, designing and maintaining and communicating around our investment strategies. So investment, uh, I would say, uh, VP of, uh, of investment strategies. Yeah. So why don't you just tell the audience a little bit about what makes LifeWorks advisors different? Like why do your users come to you? Absolutely. Um, so maybe right before we talk about LifeWorks, one thing that would be interesting for, for, for you to, to know is uh, uh, what the startup that we built was, because there is a huge uh, overlap uh, between uh, what we were trying to, to achieve with Hugo on our own uh, before that little startup that we've built uh, was acquired by, uh, by LifeWorks. So uh, the broad idea is that since the middle of the past century, or at least the 1950s or 60s, like the investment industry has been uh, uh, working around uh, the same pillars and there hasn't been any, any like um, critical or, uh, or uh, groundbreaking innovation on the investment front. So you've had a lot of uh, uh, innovation on the, on the tech side, like the way things are being packaged is, uh, is much better now. You know, you can invest uh, using your phone. You don't have to, to call your broker and buy stocks. However, on the, like the pure investment strategy side, people have been doing the same. Uh, and when I say people, I mean advisors, for example, for individual investors, advisors and individual investors have been doing the same for 60 years. That is you give your clients, your individual client, a questionnaire, a risk questionnaire. And through this questionnaire, you're trying to figure out the risk tolerance of that client, which ends up being a, uh, a number, let's say a six out of 10, like on a range. And based on that number, you would uh, assign a portfolio with a certain risk, like a certain risk loading to it that is deemed to be appropriate to that risk number. So that, that broad idea is basically what everybody has been doing for so many decades. And with Yugo, we felt like, like, you know, uh, uh, every industry needs to be uh, uh, disrupted at some point. Like you need to make progress, especially when technology has, has made so much progress. And the idea behind Hemvest and and the problem that we solved is really this one. Like how can you go to an investor, either as an advisor or uh, uh, or as an investment fund manager or anyone? How do you go to that person and really figure out? what type of risk they should have in their portfolio that would be appropriate to their economic life. That is, this guy is going to be a retiree or this guy is trying to buy a house in 10 years. How do you use those variables and how do you quantify them to have a portfolio that is more than, you know, 60% stocks and 40% bonds because you are a, a, a risk score of six out of 10 that is set and, and that you just watch forever. And so we invented that kind of product at Invest, where you could call it a, a customized structured product where 
given your, um, you know, the maturity of your goal, really your investment goal, let's say for retirement or buying a house, and the, the amount that you expect to spend and the amount that you expect to earn in between, then you would have a, an optimal portfolio and, and that would be dynamically rebalanced. Basically, this is invest. And on the other end, LifeWorks was, so invest is this tech and LifeWorks was an advisory company. So with, uh, with advisors that were facing this same problem, the risk questionnaire problem, and they realized that there was an overlap between the problem that they were trying to solve because they were realizing that the questionnaires were a nightmare, like they were a joke and they were trying to figure out a solution and ourselves that had the solution. And so we brought those together and to answer your question and I'll finish here, uh, why are people coming to LifeWorks? <laughs> it's really because, you know, people come to LifeWorks because we have that the way, the way we talk about investment is really related to financial planning because we have a solution that takes their planning data. So in how many years are, gonna, are you going to buy a house? In how many years are you going to retire? And we give them back a portfolio that is customized to those inputs. And that's really like the main differentiator of LifeWorks today. And when you started out building Aimvest, were you planning for that? Were you planning to have the software be acquired or did that just kind of happen? What was that process like? Yeah, that really kind of happened. It <laughs> really wasn't the plan. I guess uh, about a year and a half ago, we had three avenues. Uh, the first one being continue building the software on our own, raising some capital and, and growing our client base, uh, which is the normal, uh, like the standard avenue when you are an entrepreneur trying to build a startup. Uh, the second avenue, we had an opportunity to join uh, uh, an incubator by Barclays in New York City. So Barclays, you know, this big bank, I would have bought uh, a chunk of our own company and also provided us with a lot of resources, which was pretty exciting. And the third one, which came really out of the blue, was LifeWorks offer. Um, and so we we were part, as a startup, we were part of an accelerator um, the summer before. And we had, a, you know, a demo day where we demoed our uh, our idea and our, and our technology. And the CEO of LifeWorks actually like run across that video, I guess. And so he got in touch and we really realized uh, what I just told you before in the previous question, that we were coming to the same problem from different angles. And so it made a lot of sense to to merge the companies and take, and take advantage of the synergies. And in like, if I remember correctly, in like two or three weeks, we had never met this guy. We had never met uh, the shareholders of LifeWorks. And, he, and in a very short period of time, the company, like the startup was sold and, and we joined them because yeah. it made so much sense. It was the, the middle of COVID, basically. Wow. <laughs> so it was a surprise. What a pleasant surprise to find out that your tech that you were building was valuable and other folks thought that it could be super useful. Um, I'm kind of familiar with the, his, the history of how portfolio advising was not that nuanced. You know, it's like just we'll give you some bonds or some stocks. You more conservative, more bonds, more less conservative, more stocks. And it's not that sophisticated. But it seems like um, data science has really made a difference here. Like you can do m better job of helping uh, folks have the right portfolio. How are you using data science and um, all the, the data that's available now that wasn't available in the past um, to make that process more sophisticated? 
Yeah, so I think the way we use data science can be broken down into two parts. Um, on one hand, you have to me the, the, the investment creation, so where you're going to build your strategy. And those tools have, they've been there for a while, you know, like quantitative strategies has, have been around for 20, 30 years. Uh, but nowadays they are extremely accessible. So if we look at the data that we need to build one, Intrino comes in, uh, that's a very easy, like to integrate API is simple. Um, the tools, you know, the coding, the library, all of that also becomes like more and more available to everybody. So that to create like robust and customizable strategies that are not, so basically here I'm saying that are not like stock picking, like your advisors, they will pick a couple of stocks or just randomly assign like a mix of, of equity and, and, and bonds to your portfolio. So that's the tools that are here in data science, but they've been here kind of. I think where the data science becomes very interesting, like in the last maybe five to five years, let's say, it's on the other side when it comes to understanding the client and being able to, to generate that planning input that is necessary to come to the, the right portfolio, right? Um, you have like, I think I'm, I'm a big believer, for example, of like all the banking, the open banking, the, the, all those open APIs that, that allow us to, to really get a, a comprehensive picture of the clients. Because if we don't have that information, there is no way we can actually build the appropriate portfolio, right? If we don't understand like the, the different loans that a client has in, in their, in their next 20 years, we can do like any type of, quantitative strategy doesn't matter, right? Um, so data science to me, like really that aspect of understanding the client, there is a lot of tools that are being uh, created everywhere. Um, and I mean, open banking, like the, the platform like Yodoli or Play, they're like all examples, but there is other, you know, aspects to it. Um, so that's to me like to, to come up with the right strategy that's uh, data science has made huge progress there, but there's still a lot of work. Um, in making that link between planning and investing. Yeah, and it's almost like a human factor to get the right information from the clients and then use the data science approach, say, based on what's right. actually happening in your life. Um, do you find it it's hard to get that information from clients, or are they very willing to, to share the, the right information? Yeah, it's a, so it's a collaborative process, right? You... The advisor work on it, uh, the client works on it. And I think that's also one nuance that we didn't mention, but LifeWorks is special in a way that we're kind of building a robo-advisor, but you have a human advisor, right? Um, and to address that issue, I think that's very important. Um, extracting, I mean, are they willing? I think, yes, they're willing. They're willing to, they're eager to get investment solutions that actually match their needs. Um, I think the, the, the issue has been how hard it is to actually communicate like precisely your financial situation in like a standardized data uh, structure. You know, like it has been very, very idiosyncratic up until that point. Like it's the client has the discussion with an advisor and describe like some kind of product that they own or their house, but then there is not much we can do with it because that's just in the head of the advisor, right? And all those kind of API that's uh, starting to emerge and uh, clients just, you know, are more and more willing to, to share data because they understand that this is part of the process to, to get better customer service. I think we're getting there. 
Yeah, that's been my experience is that if you combine artificial intelligence, machine learning and data science with a person, like you pair them mm -hmm. together, it's way better than either on their own. Like it, it doesn't, yeah. now that I'm, I'm listening to you talk about it, it doesn't really make sense to me that you would talk to a robot alone, oh. just like yeah. a purely robotic approach to investing. How could that ever fit the broad diversity of lives yeah, that need retirement yeah. strategies? Yeah. There is a huge piece there for sure. The, the human is, there's been like this first wave of robo advisors that are become very successful and we know them. It's like Acorns, Betterment, you know, all of them, Wealthfront, which are probably the best option for someone that has a very simple financial situation. So that's your like 25, 30 year old working, no particular, maybe like a real estate uh, asset, but no particular like stuff that is complicated to model, right? Um, but most people are not in that situation. Like most people start to look at retirement. They have very different like sources of income for retirement. Uh, it gets very complicated. And even though like it's a, it's a, it's a myopic like world where we would have everything integrated into like a software like Wealthfront that can just do everything. Um, I think it's going to be extremely hard to get to that point because you, you actually do need like the, the human being to, to have apply some kind of like filter and, and make it possible. Yeah. It almost feels, I look at my own behavior and thoughts for less than years and I almost feel naive. Like I could just have a robot do everything and it would be fine. And <laughs> it makes so much sense to me that you would combine the two. Um, so what is next? I mean, what are you going to, where's the, this industry going? If, we, if we're injecting a little bit of an advisor and a human factor, um, and that's really making a, a positive difference when you combine it with the tech. What is what is LifeWorks Advisors going to build next to take it to the next level? At, at our company, I think we have obviously solving this this map that needs to be created between planning and investing is a huge thing that we need to that we are like resolving and we come up with a solution. But we need to so advisors it still cost them time to to go through one client and you know, understand that client, build a relationship and be able to service them like as they should. And so for LifeWorks, one of the key value creation that maybe has not been mentioned like by Alex uh, in the first round is that we are allowing advisors to serve more clients while keeping the same type of, you know, customer service that you, you would expect when you go see an advisor. And that, that goes through. So now we're out of the kind of, financial planning and investment management, but we enter kind of the, the operational side for financial advisors. Because obviously one big bottleneck in this industry has been that one advisor alone can only manage so many clients, right? Maybe they can have like 50, 100 clients, but if they start having 200 clients, then everything we just talked about becomes irrelevant, right? Because they just don't have time to understand the clients. And so for us, the way we can have the most impact and still do this is allow the advisor to expand their reach by making all their processes more efficient. Uh, we really kind of bring scale to the advisory business without removing the human part. I think that's that's one of the core mission of LifeWorks and was definitely next for a long time, I think, because that's, that's an ambitious mission. Um, I don't know, Alex, if you want to add on top of that. We are, like, to that regards, we are, like, planning to have almost everything that an advisor needs to do to run their business 
on the same platform, for example. So I think right now, like the average advisor, I think Alex know, know that maybe, but how many platforms do they use? Like eight or 10 platforms on average they use? Yeah, um, eight and 12, this is a right. software. Yeah, so it's a, it's an operational like mess, right? They, they, they just use different software that don't combine well together. They are constantly shifting from one to another, just takes time, right? We are combining all of that into one software that has, so we are like completing integration with Apex, the, the, the clearinghouse and the custodian. And we're going to have, you know, digital account opening, automating rebalancing, planning, uh, all those tools like within the same platform to really make that super efficient. So they can actually like come to, instead of doing 50 or 100 clients, they can take on 200 clients and still spend the time that they need to, to provide the, the, the financial advice. Yeah, the, yeah, the I mean, artificial I intelligence and data science yeah. piece scales, ex, you know, as far as you need it to scale. Yeah. But that the human component, that relationship piece, that doesn't scale. And it, I imagine if if you had better tools for the advisors, they could focus on the relationship and actually spend time thinking about the client's Absolutely. needs and figuring out yeah. what the best choice is for them instead of logging in to all those 12 different. Yeah, absolutely. And even, even they shouldn't spend time thinking about what investment strategy they are, they are using, right? It's not their, in a way, it's not their job. It's not what they've been like prepared to do. Um, so they, they really need to be able to focus on the human aspect, like you just said, and that's how they, they create the most value and that's how they gain scale. And that's what we're trying to let them do. And do you think that that applies more broadly across fintech that like the service and operation side of actually um, giving a good experience to customers is kind of the next frontier for these tech companies across fintech that have, you know, they've got software, they've got data science and they can, they, you know, do you think that that applies more broadly? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, there's been like a phase, I think of just, adding scale and we've reached a point where those companies are, it's becoming a commodity, right? The robo advisor business is a, is a commodity today. Um, it's a, it's a race to zero fee. Uh, they're all providing the same thing. So I think, yes, like broadly people and the companies will start to look for how do we add like a better customer service, a better customer experience, um, especially like when, data science is making things very scalable and very commoditized in a way. Yeah. It's that human factor. I don't like that when I work with a company and I get treated like I'm also a robot. <laughs> you know, that's not, yeah. that's not a good experience I mean, uh, for me. <laughs> there's, there's definitely some industry where like the human factor is, is not going to, it's not going to play much of a role, but I think in the, in our particular industry, the, the financial advisory business, it's a, it's a huge component. Um, yeah, yeah. We we think about onboarding clients and the client experience all the time at Intrinio. So if someone wants to try LifeWorks Advisors and see what that having like a robo a robo advisor combined with an advisor who understands your your needs, if they wanted to try that, um, how do they get started? I've got your website here. It's LifeWorksAdvisors.com. But like, what is that experience like if they want to try try it out and see what it's like? Yeah, basically the way. Uh, people mostly hear about us is either through referral. So they already like, they have a friend that is a client of LifeWorks that's going to introduce them to us and hopefully say good things. And the other way is uh, digital marketing that we do a lot. 
So we go on a webinar and someone from LifeWorks is going to tell you uh, a longer story than we've told you today, uh, but that's trying, that's gonna, that's gonna bring a, a prospect or a, a future client to us. And the day they arrive, uh, and that's, that's, that's what, that's something you could find on our website is the first thing they're going to have is, um, is an appointment, a meeting with one of the advisors of LifeWorks. So the very first interaction is a human interaction. Um, from, uh, from what I've seen, because like Hugo and I are not on the advisory side, right? We are here to support the advisors, but we've had a lot of opportunities to, um, to attend like meetings between advisors and clients. And from what we've seen, like the very first meeting between the advisor and you, Andrew, let's say, is going to be a lot about your uh, own personal life. And, and I'd be like almost shocked at how much people open up and how much they tell about uh, what they own, how much they make, uh, how much they expect to make, how much they expect to spend. And that is absolutely necessary um, for the person to like to feel that the advisor has all the tools uh, in the toolbox to, to, to help them out. And only then, only when you have had this uh, human interaction and when we've uh, had a complete picture of your economic life and even personal life, then you can try out, you know, we have this uh, smartphone app, web app, and, and you can onboard, you can try. And most of the time, people don't start by bringing assets over. So they just want to try out planning. You know, they just want to see how the app is going to help them plan for their future inflows and outflows. And they want to get advice from the advisor, but like two months, three months down the road, they will most of the time bring their assets over to LifeWorks to get these assets managed once they've tried, um, the planning side. And then the investment strategy work comes in. And we use our software and our risk assessment methodologies to to invest those in, in the market. Yeah, it's definitely a more human uh, process. Even though we do have like you can you can become a client of LifeWorks digitally. Like that's something a, a traditional advisor. The only way you can access the advisor is well. You have to, you know, get an appointment, get a call, make sure you, so they can make sure that you have enough money, basically, um, and then, you know, then you can hopefully get started. Uh, for us, we do like digital account opening, and very soon, like within a day, uh, you'll have a, an account open, like at a custodian, ready to invest. Like that's something that's very different from it's like that hybrid model between the the robot advisor onboarding process and then the traditional onboarding process of an advisor we're kind of like trying to be in the middle uh, bring the best of both worlds i guess yeah i love that approach i love that you you talk first and, and get to know them before you stick them in 60 percent stocks 40 percent bond etfs and we'll never <clears throat> never talk to you again yeah you know, from what i know about people I guess I shouldn't be surprised that they, if, if someone's willing to listen, they're, they want to share and talk, you know, like most people love when someone listens to them or cares and is there to help them. And I think that historically you've had to choose, you know, you've either got an advisor who doesn't have the best tools, doesn't have a, the technology and data science to actually invest really effectively. You either go to that advisor who's going to listen and care, but they maybe can't 
invest as effectively or you don't have anyone who cares about you. You just have the automated investing. And so getting started with LifeWorks sounds like it would be, I would have a lot of confidence knowing that I've got both, you know, technology, smart <laughs> folks behind the scenes and a person who cares and understands my situation. Um, yeah, I love it. So that's lifeworksadvisors.com. Yeah, it looks like you can <laughs> chat, you can set up a meeting. It's all there. Um, do you both work remotely for work, LifeWorks Advisors? I suppose with the, the pandemic, you've probably had to. What's that been like? I, this is kind of less about the business and more just about like how you're handling the challenges of being dispersed. I mean, I guess it comes naturally if you can open accounts remotely and be technology company, but has, has the pandemic made it easy or, or harder to be working on these techno technology problems? Um, I think much harder. I, I'm, so the company is in Michigan. Um, I'm in New York, Alex is in France. Uh, so I don't have it too bad because I'm on the same uh, time frame. Uh, but I think it's, it's, it becomes very hard to really collaborate effectively if you're working uh, remotely. That's at least my experience. And I've, I've, I go like to Michigan at least once a month and I really benefit from being able to meet in person with those, the developers and all our team and, and the CEO and all of that. I think that's super important to me. And Alex has another story because he is, uh, he's very remote, uh, in France. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, working on a six hour, uh, time difference. So all day, every day, which is, um, adding a layer of uh, complexity, I would say to, to what Hugo mentioned. And I would second uh, really what Hugo said to me as well, um, like not being able to gather in a room with with someone when you're trying to solve a, sometimes we really do have to solve tough, tough problems. And when you can't get people's um, body language type of feedback, um, that really is a, is a pain sometimes. So the pandemic has had a lot of uh, uh, benefits, like being like allowing you to work from home and seeing family and and seeing the old friends uh, that I have in France. So that is great. But on the other end, uh, I wish sometimes I was uh, typically with you going in an office room and, and the other guys on the, on the tech team and being able to chat more efficiently. Yeah, we're, when, I do, when I do development work or writing work, kind of like heads down, deep work, I love being remote. There's no distractions. I it can control my environment. But when I want to be creative yeah. and collaborative, which you, you're, when you're in a fintech company, you you always have to be innovating. You know, you have to be building new things and discussing and, and throwing ideas around. That is such a challenge to do remotely when you're not in the same room. And like even on this call, you know, your internet's down, your internet's up. It's it's like yeah. <laughs> there's always you, some challenge. Yeah, you, you've been frozen for the last ten minutes. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So even doing an interview can be hard. So I I um, I give you a lot of credit for continuing to put out new features and innovate for your clients, even even remotely. Um, super excited to see what comes next for LifeWorks and. Um, the future of investing in this kind of dual approach with an advisor and technology. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Hugo and Alex. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me for this episode of FinTech What the Heck. Thanks to our sponsor, Intrinio, a financial data partner for innovators in finance. You can learn more at Intrinio.com. 
I'm Andrew Carpenter, and I'll see you next time for more of what's new in fintech.